Uh, today we're going uh, to kind of put our study of the Ten Commandments kind of on hold, but it's really a continuation of what we were talking about last week. And what we're, what we're going to do is, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 20, if you would. And if you have a, a pen or a pencil and a paper handy, I'd encourage you to have those out, because um, I would encourage you to jot down some references uh, for a later time. But we're going to be in John chapter 20, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. And I would encourage you to, to, uh, uh, to have your Bible and leave it open to John 20. We're going to be turned to a variety of passages. You may not have time to turn to all of them, but we will refer to uh, quite a bit of stuff in John chapter 20. And so uh, I'd encourage you to have that open, even though we're just going to have the first 10 verses up on the screen. Now, the reason that we're kind of putting our, our series on hold, but it's 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 kind of a, a gray area, is because last week, whenever we met together, we talked about the fourth commandment, which is the command to honor the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath. And we looked uh, we looked at that in depth, and we worked our way through it. And because of time constraints, we didn't have a chance to talk about how we as believers, how we as New Testament, New Covenant Christians are to observe, or what we how we should interact with uh, the Sabbath. And you remember that I said that we have a day that we as believers uh, should recognize and, and should observe, and that's the Lord's Day. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to focus in on the Lord's Day. And, and again, I'd encourage you to write down some references because uh, you'll be able to look back at them at another time, and, and hopefully that will be a benefit to you. Now, just to give you a roadmap of where we're going today, I want us to think a little bit about the Sabbath, just kind of by way of review. Then I want us to look at uh, what the Bible tells us about the Lord's Day and how the early church began to worship on the Lord's Day instead of on the Sabbath. And finally, I want us to consider very briefly some activities that we should be engaged in on the Lord's Day. So if you found John chapter 20, I'd encourage you and ask you to stand with me if you're able. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 1 and read down to verse 10. It says, now On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the, to the stone... Uh, to the tomb while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the, the Apostle John who wrote this gospel, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes." Thank you. May be seated. Now, I know that many of you were here last week, uh, and so you, you heard some of this stuff about the Sabbath, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but, but just so you have it fresh in your minds, and if, if you weren't able to be here last week, I'll, I'll hopefully fill in some gaps that, uh, that, that maybe you missed. But you'll remember that the Sabbath was originally instituted by God in creation. You remember in, in the first six days of creation, he created all that there was. And on the seventh day, the Bible says that he rested. Now, unlike us, his rest was not because he was tired. It wasn't because he ran out of steam. It wasn't because, uh, you know, sometimes uh, when I was growing up, my, my daddy used to say, my tires are hanging out. You know, his tires were not hanging out. He, he, his spring had not sprung. He was, 
He was in full capacity. He rested, not from, from, from being tired, but he rested from completion. There was nothing left for him to do in creation. He looked at creation, all that he had done, and said, it is very good. There's nothing to add to, nothing to take away. It's finished. And so he, he took a break. He sanctified a day. He, he set it apart. He elevated it above the other six and said, this is a day that you should rest and find time to reflect on God as creator. Now, fast forward a few hundred years, and Moses is with the Israelites out in Sinai. You remember, we have all the patriarchs, and they get to, uh, they get to Egypt, and, uh, and, and so they're, they're in Egyptian bondage. Well, we don't have the patriarchs quite yet, but anyway, uh, we get to Egyptian bondage. They get out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. They get to Mount Sinai, and God meets with Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments. Now, one of those commandments, number four, is the command to observe the Sabbath. Now, again, we looked at this in detail last week, so if you want a, a, full, a fuller uh, treatment of this, I would point you to that, uh, to that text or to that sermon. Um, but you'll remember that the Mosaic Sabbath that was given in the Ten Commandments was, A, not a moral law, it was a ceremonial law. B, it served as a sign of the covenant that God was making with Israel. And C, it served as a reminder of their deliverance from slavery. You remember they didn't have a day of rest when they were slaves but God gave them one after uh, they were free. Now, as part of this ceremonial law that we're no longer obligated to observe as, as believers, and since the command to observe the Sabbath is not given in the New Testament, and since warnings about breaking the Sabbath are not given in the New Testament, and since the Bible says that the Sabbath itself was a picture that pointed ahead to Christ, as well as other consideration, it's clear that Christians... Living under the new covenant, that's what we are, are not obligated to keep the Mosaic Sabbath. But even as I say that, I want to emphasize that again, this principle, this laid out in creation of having a day set aside, one day out of seven, to pause and to rest and to, and to do the things of God, to think about the things of God, that is still in practice. So, so it's not a law that we should slavishly obey. Now, somebody would say, oh, so are you just saying that we should treat Sunday, the Lord's Day, like every other day of the week? And the answer to that is no, because every day should be lived to the Lord's glory. Every day should be lived to the Lord's honor. But one day out of seven is a day that's set aside for a day of rest and worship. Now, again, I, I want to stress that, that the Lord's Day, Sunday, is not a transformation of the Mosaic Sabbath. This is something that's brand new. Jesus brought in a new covenant. He brought the old covenant to a close. He brought in a new covenant. And with the new covenant comes a new day. Now, now some people want to think of Sunday, the Lord's Day, as the Christian Sabbath. Has anybody ever heard that phrase, the Christian Sabbath? I've heard that a lot throughout my years. And, and I think that language is okay so long as we don't carry the wrong ideas into it. And what I mean is, Sometimes when people talk about the Christian Sabbath, they just mean a, a, a day of rest for Christians where we, we, we reflect on God, we worship Him, and, and so forth. But others want to bring Old Testament rules and regulations that apply to the Sabbath and apply them directly to the Lord's Day, to Sunday. But I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's valid because I believe there's, there's, there's freedom here. And, and so uh, what I want us to do is... Now, have you ever heard somebody say, well... You don't have to go to church, be a Christian. I can worship God where? I can worship Him in the woods. 
You ever heard somebody say that? I can worship him sitting in a deer stand. I can worship him out in a boat while I'm fishing. In fact, being in nature is where I feel closest to God. I don't need to go to church. Well, the thing is, you, you can be around God anywhere because God is everywhere. But that idea is off in the weeds because the Lord's Day is a, is, is a day for Christians to gather together corporately to worship God. And you're not being corporate with anybody out in the deer stand except the squirrels, and they ain't singing to Jesus. Okay, so, so they don't preach the gospel, they don't encourage one another. In fact, if you've ever been deer hunting, you know that squirrels are very discouraging sometimes because you, you know that there's a deer, and, and finally you see it, and it's just a squirrel, and, and it's, it's pretty frustrating. But anyway, um, that's, that's, not, that's not valid. So I'm going to give you six reasons to set aside a day unto the Lord, and ideally that it would be on Sunday. And I say ideally because there are sometimes that work schedules and stuff like that don't always allow people to worship on Sunday. But I'm going to talk about six reasons to set aside a day for the Lord and ideally for it to be on Sunday. The first is because doing so honors and commemorates the resurrection of Jesus. Worshiping on Sunday honors and commemorates the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, as you read the Gospels, there are times when the, the, the Gospel writers will record one incident in Matthew and something else in John, and, and there, are, there, are, there are a few instances where a, a, an event in the life of Christ is recorded in all four Gospels. There aren't a whole lot, but there are a few. And in those things that are recorded in all four Gospels, very few times do the Gospel writers draw attention to a specific day of the week. But that's not the case with the resurrection. I want you to to listen to a few verses. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, what day of the week is Sabbath? It's Saturday. So after the Sabbath, it's going to be Sunday. After the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And we know the rest of the story. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they had come to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. John chapter 20 and verse 1 that we read today. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already, rolled, already taken away from the tomb. Now, did you hear a common refrain in all those passages? There was an emphasis on the first day of the week. They emphasized that the resurrection happened on Sunday. So when we meet together, I mean, many of us, we just come to church on Sunday because that's when you come to church. We've never thought about why do we come on Sunday? What is it about this day of the week that makes it a special day. It's because it is every day that we meet, every week that we meet on Sunday, it is a commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is in honor of His resurrection. So the first reason is because it is a commemoration. It honors His resurrection from the dead. The second reason to keep the Lord's Day and to do so on Sunday is because that is when Jesus met with His disciples. That's when Jesus met with His disciples. Now I'm talking about 
post-resurrection, after the resurrection. Of course, they traveled around with him. They were with him for about three years, and so they were with him seven days a week. But I'm talking after the resurrection, Sunday is when Jesus met with his disciples. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the days as they're mentioned in Scripture, but I want to point just a few out. Jesus met with his disciples on Sunday. Now, this it, it happened, his 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 meeting with the disciples started on Resurrection Sunday. So early in the morning, you know, he says, go, hurry, go tell the disciples, we need to get things started because we got a lot to do. Now that's my, that's my addition there. But, but this all happened, all this stuff that we read about him meeting with the disciples, that it happened on Resurrection Sunday. So in Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 to 10, he first met him in the garden. You remember they, the, the women came to the tomb. They saw the tomb was empty. The, they heard that, that Jesus had risen from the dead. What did they do? They went to tell the disciples. And while they were going, Jesus met them. And they began to worship him. The Bible says they grabbed hold of his feet and worshiped him. So on Sunday, we had the first worship service. Uh, then later that day, in, in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, we have Jesus meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So you remember that, that there were some disciples that decided to go to Emmaus. It was another town. And they were walking along. Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. The God had prevented them from, from doing so at that point. But they're walking along. They're all bummed out. And Jesus says, and this is, this is the Jeff Braddock version, JB, JBV. Uh, they, he says, hey, what's wrong? Why are you guys bummed out? And so they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know about all these things that have happened? We place our hope in the Messiah. This is my um, paraphrase. We place our hope in the Messiah, and he was killed. They, they, they murdered him. They, they crucified him, and they buried him. And, and, and three days later, he said he's going to rise again. The women told us there's nobody at the tomb, and we're just bummed out. And what does Jesus say? He says, Oh, foolish men and, and slow of heart to believe. And then the Bible says that starting with Moses, he opens the scriptures to them and he tells them how all these things in the Old Testament point to Jesus. And even then, even though they hear the first post-resurrection expositional sermon, they still don't know that it's Jesus. But it gets, they get to Emmaus and it's late in the day and they say, hey, Jesus acts like he's going to go on. They say, hey, it's late, why don't you stay with us? And, uh, and you can go on out tomorrow. And so Jesus stops, and they sit down to eat, and Jesus breaks the bread, he blesses it. And when, they, when he does that, that's when they recognize this Jesus. They recognize that it's him, and what happens? He disappears. So they go, and they run, and they tell the disciples. This is all happening Resurrection Sunday. The women have come, and they've told the disciples, Jesus is alive. We've, we've seen angels and all these different things. The, the disciples don't believe them. So they go in a sealed room, John chapter 20. Look down to verses 19 to 25, if you have your Bible still open there. Uh, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, so this is still Resurrection Sunday, when the, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And when he had, allowed, and when he had said this, he showed them his, both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so we... we we get some more interaction, some, some stuff that he says to him. Thomas is not there. We don't know where Thomas is. He may have been out buying a, a gallon of milk. He may have been taking care of the, the livestock at home. Since he, he, he seemed like kind of a negative guy, he may have been out by himself 
You know, some of us negative people, we're pessimists, and when something bad happens, we just want to be alone. And so maybe he was off by himself, sulking, saying, I knew this was going to happen. You know, so anyway, for whatever reason, he wasn't there. But Jesus has shown up on Resurrection Sunday. And you know, when Thomas comes back, what, what that conversation must have been like. Tom, we saw Jesus. Oh, yeah, right. You know, and so anyway, if you'll go down and look in verse 26, it says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and there stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. So we have Resurrection Sunday. We have the seven days of that week. What's the eighth day? Be Sunday again, right? So on Sunday again, Jesus meets with his disciples. This time Thomas sees him, then we get this whole interaction. I'll not believe unless I, I feel his hands and feet, or hands inside and so forth. And Jesus shows up and says, you know, you believe because you see me, and, and blessed are those who believe and don't see, and, and so forth. Sunday is the day that the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. You say, now, Pastor... How do you know that was a Sunday? Well, here, here's, here's how. The Bible tells us so. It happened in Acts chapter 2. The Bible doesn't say what day of the week it was, but it, it, but it does tell us. Here's what I mean. Pentecost was a Jewish feast. Penta comes from uh, the word, it means 50. And so it was 50 days. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 15 talks about the law of Pentecost. And it says it's to be... 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover. And here's how, here's how Leviticus 23 says to, to count those days. It says, count seven Sabbaths, and that seven, seven Sabbaths, that's going to be 49 days, right? But you're 50 days. So seven Sabbaths plus one, so you're up to Saturday plus one, that's Sunday. At Pentecost, the believers are already meeting together. On Sunday, they're gathered together. And it's on Pentecost, on Sunday, the Holy Spirit was given. That's when the church is born. All this is happening on Sundays. Do you see a pattern starting to emerge? There's something special about this day. Not only do we see that the Lord was meeting with His people on Sundays... Not only was the Spirit given on Sunday and the church was born on Sunday, but to go hand in hand with that, we have what I'm going to call apostolic example. That's a big word that means the the apostles did it. The apostles did it. Now, Jesus had a history meeting with his people on Sunday, so it's not surprising the, the followers of Jesus began to meet together with other believers on Sunday too. Now, I just mentioned Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, the believers were already gathered together. This is right after the resurrection, within about a month and a half. They're on, on Sunday, they're meeting together, praying. Later in Acts chapter 20, uh, I have the text, it should be up on the uh, screen here in just a second. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now, I've been accused of being long-winded. You're going to be a sermon illustration one day, sweetie. Um, this, is, this is, you remember that story where Eutychus, a young man, is sitting in the windowsill, 
And Paul goes to preaching, and he keeps going and going. He has so much stuff to tell him, and, and, and they're sitting there. They're eating up all that he's saying. But it's, it's late at night. There are lots of, of lamps in the room, or a lot of torches in the room. And he falls asleep. And the problem is they're upstairs. And he falls out the window and dies. And I love, I love what it says. Paul goes down and raises him from the dead. They go up, and he keeps preaching. You got, I got more stuff to say. You're not getting out of it that easy. Anyway, what are they doing? On the first day of the week, they gather together to break bread and to get the teaching of the apostle. That sounds like a church service to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it'll be up on the screen too, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. When, when are we going to do this? On the first day of the week. Each one of you, uh, sorry, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Now, two things stand out to me about this text. First, he didn't feel the need to explain why they were meeting on the first day. He didn't say, you guys need to start meeting on the first day. And when you do that, that's when you take up these collections. He said, when you're doing it, take up the collections. This is evidently their practice already, but second, it appears that he gave the directions, if you'll notice what he says in, in verse 1, not only to the Corinthians, but the churches in Galatia. And evidently, it appears here that this included meeting on the Lord's Day. So we have apostolic example of meeting together on the Lord's Day corporately to worship God, to hear the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, and so forth. Next, The language of the New Testament itself points to worshiping on the Lord's Day and sets it apart as being something different. Now, our English translations are good. But sometimes we lose a little bit in English from the original language. Because you know Jesus didn't speak English, right? He didn't, didn't, Paul didn't use our modern Bibles. They spoke Aramaic and Greek and so forth. The New Testament, the Gospels, for instance, were written, and, and we have them in Greek. And the language of the New Testament, in the original language, sets apart the, the first day of the week. And what I mean is, there's a, a word that's commonly translated as first in the New Testament. It's protos. So you've heard of a prototype. It's first. Okay, so something that's first is usually protos. But significantly, when the New Testament writers speak of the first day of the week, they don't use that word. They use a different construction, a different word that means one. On the one day of the week. On the day number one. The only time that this word is used in the New Testament, it refers either A, to the day of the resurrection, or B, when the believers met on the first day of the week. The language itself, again, we don't, we don't pick this up because we say, oh, the first day of the week, that means Sunday. Yes. But the scripture writers set it apart in a subtle way. It says there's something different about this number one. It's not just the first in many days. This is the Lord's day. And that's why Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10 John is writing, he's in, the, he's, he's in exile on the island of Patmos. He gets the revelation, and he says in chapter 1, verse 10, I was in the Spirit 
on the Lord's day. And I, beheard, I heard behind me a trumpet voice, or a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now, many conservative Bible scholars date John writing about 90 A.D. Some scholars even have him dated uh, writing before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The reason I mention this is because the language that John uses, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, was evidently understood to his readers. He didn't feel the need to explain it. He didn't say, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and by that I mean Sunday. They understood what the Lord's day was. And this is within the first generation of believers after Jesus' resurrection. What does it mean to do something on the Lord's day? It means he was doing it on Sunday, the first day of the week, the day that's set apart for rest, worship of God. So, the reasons we should set aside a day of worship that we've covered so far, if at all possible that it be on Sunday, is it commemorates the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Second reason is because it follows, uh, it's when Jesus met with his disciples. The third reason is it follows the example that's set by the apostles. Number four, the language of the New Testament itself sets that day aside as something different and special and unique. And number five, Jesus rested from his labors of salvation. Jesus rested from his labors of salvation. This is probably something that many of us have never considered. But I just want you to think about it. In the creation, God had done, he created all that there was in six days. It was complete, it was finished, he rested. On the cross, Jesus' work of redemption was finished. You remember as he hung there on the cross just before he gave up his spirit, what did he say? It is finished. Nothing to add, nothing to subtract. It is finished. It's done. He lived a perfect life. He died in the place of the sinners who'd, who'd, who'd put their faith in him. It's finished. We can't add to his death. We can't add to his resurrection. We can't take away from it. And at the resurrection, God's plan of salvation was finalized and realized. Romans 4 says, He was delivered over for our transgressions and raised for our justification. And just as creation was complete and God rested from His labors, when Jesus finished the work of salvation, it was complete, He rested from His. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says after the ascension that He sat down at the Father's right hand. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 13 says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. I want to just pause there. What does he say? He says the priests stand ministering. There were no chairs in the temple. You ever think about that? We have have seats. We have pews. We have all these things to sit down on. But the priests didn't have any chairs. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. Why? Because their work was never done. Every year, every day, they would go in, offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And that's it, day after day after day after day after day, year after year. Why? Because the offerings that they made were never finished. They were never sufficient. But Jesus offered a better sacrifice. What's the Bible say? It says that they offer the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sin, verse 12. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, 
waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet, for his feet. Jesus wasn't standing in heaven because his work was done. He says, it's finished. I'm sitting down. I've got nothing left to do. I'm resting. And when we rest on the Lord's day, it's because Jesus rested from all his labors and bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That's five reasons. And number six, having a regular weekly day that's set aside for corporate worship with the saints gives structure to our days and weeks and really our lives. Having a, day, a, a weekly, regular day that's set aside for worship with the saints gives structure to our lives. Now, I'm sure you've noticed this. I know that I have. There are times whenever we can't come to church. This Missouri weather, you never know what you're going to get. And it may be because the, the, the roads are so bad we can't get to church on Sunday safely. It may be because we're sick. It may be because we're traveling. It may be because, well, let's face it, sometimes the bed feels pretty good on Sunday morning, doesn't it? And, and we sometimes we miss church. And I know my own life, when I've missed those days, it kind of throws everything off. Because you have that, that day set aside every week. You meet together with the saints, you worship. You meet together with the saints, you worship. Week after week after week, you give structure to your life, you give structure to your weeks, and all of a sudden you don't have that. It's like, this is weird, it's not right. We're worse off for it when we miss worshiping with, with other believers. Now finally, I just want to mention briefly some activities that are good to do on the Lord's Day. This is, again, not some kind of a, a to-do list. It's not so you can, I can give you these and you can check it off, say, I've done it, I'm holy, I haven't done it, I'm bad. I'm not, that's not what this is. And I'm not going to go in depth in any of this. I'm just going to pull from the text that we've looked at and kind of do it in, in bullet form. First, it's good to rest. It's good to rest. We see that set, set in, in motion in creation. Have a day of rest. Second, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we should gather with other, other believers. People want to be, you know, they want to say, oh, I'll just worship at home, I'll just watch it on TV, I'll just do whatever. No. No. You miss out when you don't come to church. And I'm not saying you miss out because you don't get to hear me. Good grief, I've heard me preach. I know you're not missing a whole lot when you don't hear me. I'm talking about when, when you don't come to church, People don't get to minister to you, and you don't get to minister to other people. And you lose out when both of those things don't happen. Because it's not all about us. It's about God. We don't come to worship us. We don't come so the music and the preaching pleases us. It should please God. That's, who, that's, the, the, uh, that's the audience of one. And we need to meet together to worship to fellowship, to take the Lord's Supper, to hear the preaching and the teaching of the apostles as, as it's recorded in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2 talk about the, the saints gather together in giving. Folks, God has given us a gift that keeps on giving. Each week, year after year, week after week, which is set aside time to meet together, to worship, to fellowship, to to be exposed to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, to, to give, to fellowship. 
that's for our benefit. And the question that we need to answer for, in our own hearts is how faithful are we in doing that? Again, not as some sort of a, well, here is, here's what i got to do. If I do it, I'm good. If I don't do it, I'm bad. That's not what this is. This is a gift that God has given us. Now, the Bible is clear that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the custom of some. Even in the, even in the first century church, there, there were Christians, you know, you, you dip them and drop them, you baptize them, and they never see them again. There were people that were doing that. But listen, it's for our good. When we get together and we fellowship, and we bear one another's burdens, we can pray for each other. We can be encouraged and you say, man, I'm just having a rough week and somebody can come along, put their arm around you and encourage you with their words. They can, they can pray with you, pray for you. You stay at home, your TV screen doesn't do that, does it? Sometimes, again, and, and we've talked about this before, people want to be Lone Ranger Christians, but even Lone Ranger had Tonto. It's not, it's not a, a solo thing. It is a community. We are part of a body. And the Lord's Day is about the body of Christ coming together to worship the head of that body, and that's Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. And again, I'm not saying these things so that to cast stones at, at anyone. I'm not saying this to make any of us feel guilty. I'm not saying this so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm here every time the church doors are open. Go me. And that's, uh, that means I'm doing good with God. That's not what this is about. This is a gift that God has given us. To set aside a day for rest, worship, reflection. Do your Sundays look any different than any other day of the week? We tend to go to one extreme or the other, don't we? We have that one side where we either retreat like every other day where we get like the Pharisees that made man subservient to the Sabbath. And that's many rules and regulations that took the joy and the gift of the Sabbath out. Now we've talked about this before, but the Sabbath... Rest was a picture of the rest that we find in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. The Sabbath was at the end of the work. The Jews thought if they worked and did enough work, 
They get inner rest. The Lord stays at the beginning. We work from rest. We work from our salvation, not for our salvation. We start off with rest. We start off realizing that our good enough, our best is not good enough. Your best is not good enough. My best is not good enough. We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot add to Christ's salvation. But when we put our faith in Him and Him alone, we'll be saved. We'll find rest for our souls. And if you've never found that, I plead with you today to put your faith in Christ. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of the daily grind, the rat race, the monotony of of going through life, and sometimes it, it does seem monotonous. It's just day after day, the same thing, same song, different verse. Then in the midst of all that, you've given us a regular weekly gift. Not just the gift of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ, but the gift of rest and worship. And we know that our worship of you is not about us, it's about you, but Lord, we know we benefit from it. It helps us remember that you are bigger than our problems. It helps us remember that you're the one that saves us, not us. It helps us remember all these things and put us in the right perspective. God, I pray that you'd help each of us to set aside time on the Lord's Day to come together to worship, to fellowship, and all the rest. And Lord, for the person who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would help them to see they cannot earn their way to heaven. They cannot uh, do their best and hope it's good enough. Hope that their good outweighs the bad because we know that uh, our, our righteous deeds, the things that we wouldn't mind people know about, we'd like people to know about, the things we're proud of are as filthy rags. The only thing that will avail before you is the, son of Christ, or the, the blood of Christ, your son. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen.